Your Steve Jones Show podcast is loading now. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Sunbury Motors, North 4th Street in Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Uh, joined now by the outstanding John Sauber, Center Daily Times. John, it's always a pleasure. Great to have you with us. Thanks for having me on, Steve. I always appreciate it. John, so let's start with this. Uh, we'll start with football, then we'll work our way over to basketball because you've been intently covering both. Uh, Penn State closes out the regular season with a 42 nothing win over Michigan State. Uh, what did you see not only in that game but the last couple of weeks for Penn State uh, on both sides of the ball? Yeah, I saw a much more comfortable offense, right? And it's something a lot of us asked about post game to the players. You know, what kind of changed over those last two weeks, essentially since Mike Yersich was fired. And, and a lot of guys pointed to the simplification of the offense. And you can kind of tell that uh, guys just felt more comfortable. They knew where they were at. Uh, it seemed like there were fewer miscommunications on offense, which is, is crucial. Uh, there weren't as many of those comeback routes that, like, Aller threw where he threw it maybe two yards closer to the, to the sideline and the wide receiver didn't break far enough or what have you. Um and we importantly saw guys like Amari Evans get involved. And that's something James Franklin mentioned last week, um, as mentioned a couple times over the last two weeks, that they're focusing more on what guys can do rather than what they can't do. And Amari Evans can take the top off a of defense, right? And he can stretch the field and open things up in the intermediate. And I think we saw a lot of that, especially against Michigan State. Defensively, frankly, I think we saw what we saw all year, right? It's one of the best three defenses in the country. Uh, take the Spartans to task and, and just kind of impose their will, something that I don't think Penn State fans should take for granted because I do think the defense will be good next year, but this might go down as, as one of the program's all-time great defenses. And I think it shows in what we're seeing uh, with some of the uh, votes that have come up uh, for all Big Ten and so forth. John, what made that defense, in your opinion, such a top, maybe even championship-level unit? Yeah, and I agree with that. I think this is – I wrote about this, uh, that it's a shame that this defense isn't going to get to play in the playoff because it absolutely is a championship-level defense. Uh, but, but you see a lot of defenses in the, the modern NFL are about two things, really. It's about the pass rush, and it's about coverage in the secondary. Um, and it's usually about either finding pressure with your front seven and then relying on the back end to play man-to-man, or it's you know dropping seven into coverage and relying on your pass rush to get home because your front four is so good. Penn State has the luxury of having both of those things, right? They have a, a back four that can play man-to-man with pretty much any receiver group in the country. They have a front four that can rush against pretty much any offensive line in the country. And that frees everyone up to allow, you know, for more variety for Manny Diaz. He can blitz whenever he wants to without it being predictable because he knows if he needs to, he can get pressure with the front four. Uh, he can drop into, uh, drop with seven for the same reason. Uh, you know, and, and the blitzing is allowed because guys like Kalen King and Johnny Dixon and Daquan Hardy and even K.J. Winston uh, and Jalen Reed at safety, those guys can be trusted in man coverage. So it's it's really the, the two tenets of, to me, modern defense, rushing the passer and, and uh, you know, being able to cover with your back four. They were as good as it gets in, in that regard. Uh, what about when you watch how Penn State plays it? You know, we saw, for example, the, the Auburn-Alabama thing. They rushed two, three. I think they rushed two at the end. There's no way yeah, in the was... planet Manny Diaz would do that. I mean, I don't think he knows how to get his foot off the pedal. Yeah, I, it, I, I, honestly, I was watching that game because, uh, as you know, we I think we all finally got to enjoy a full Saturday of football, which I don't yeah. take for granted uh, because Penn State played on Friday. Right. I, I genuinely could not believe that they only rushed two. 
even if you rush three, like it gives you a reasonable chance at pressure. Rushing two is essentially guaranteeing that you won't get there and you're giving Milrow all the time that he wants, right? And I'm with you. I think I think Manny Diaz either would have brought the house or he would have just rushed his front four and trusted his back seven, right? I think I think when you rush two like that, you're kind of either saying that you don't trust the guys in coverage to, to hold up or you don't trust the front four to get home if you're going to break four. So uh, I don't think that would ever be an issue with Diaz in this defense. No. Uh, so offensively, you talked about the seeming comfort level. I thought you phrased it well with uh, the way you said they, they accentuated what people could do uh, along the way. What did you see, uh, especially in the running game, the last couple of games, in their ability to to make things happen, not only up front but with the two running backs? Yeah, I think I think they were less predictable in that regard, right? Like it, it felt less uh, forced. And I think, honestly, part of that is they were throwing the ball so well that teams couldn't kind of stack the box against the run. It allowed Catron Allen and Nick Singleton to get to spots, um, you know, where, where they were only running against six-man boxes, if you will, and, and the six, five or six. And, and so they were, they were able to break off some big runs, um, you know, and, and that, that kind of it, – it all starts with the passing game and then modern college football, I think, as we all know. Uh, but that doesn't mean the running game isn't a massive part of it because – that's what opens up the running game, right, is being able to throw the ball. When you become one-dimensional, you can't do uh, – you really can't do either thing because you know uh, the opponent knows you're not going to do one, and that allows them to limit the other. Uh, so I think they did a really good job of essentially, you know, taking the top off the defense, like I said, with Amari Evans, getting some of those routes to the middle of the field uh, where the, the linebackers kind of had to hesitate uh, to see if something was a zone read, to see if it was uh, an RPO, to see if it was play action. Um, and so linebackers had to hesitate. They couldn't commit to the run right away, and that allowed, you know, guys like Catron Allen uh, and Nick Singleton to to hit those holes and create those big plays that that maybe hadn't been there earlier this season. What are your thoughts of the development of Drew Aller as the season went? Yeah, this is this is a million dollar question, right? And I've I've gotten some flack for people because I I've, I've not been willing to kind of cast blame on Drew Aller for how a lot of this year went. And frankly, I, I still don't. I'll rewatch all of the games once the season ends because I am who I am, and I'll I'll do a review of especially Aller and how he did. But you know, on first glance, having watched the games live and then a rewatch every week, he he did not seem to me to be the problem, right? Uh, James Franklin has said this a few times too that there are absolutely things he needs to get better at, which is true. There are situations where he gets, you know, he can get happy feet and he gets, uh, he looks uncomfortable maybe when he doesn't have to. Uh, but I think all in all, he has been really good uh, to close the season. Uh, to start the season, he he had his moments, he had those flashes, but he continually got more comfortable. And and once the change was made at offensive coordinator. I thought he really shined from a comfort standpoint. It's a shame we didn't get to see him the rest of that Rutgers game because yeah. I think there was a chance that he would have thrown the ball a good bit more to close that game and we would have seen a lot of what we saw against Michigan State a week earlier. right? Uh, but I thought by, by that Michigan State game, he was so good. That that 60-yard throw, uh, 60 yards in, traveled 60 yards in the air uh, yes. to Omari Evans was, was absolutely gorgeous. And like one of those throws that like – has the press box ooing and aahing, right? Because you don't you don't see that from most quarterbacks, and to put it on the money like that, uh, I, I think he. I think overall, uh, it is a very good year that has been punctuated with, uh, you know, the regular season at least with an exclamation mark of like, this is what I think Penn State fans envisioned. This is what James Franklin envisioned uh, when they they brought Aller to Penn State. That last game is like, 
it can now be a building block for for what the rest of his uh, career is like. Penn State. What was your opinion of the usage of Bo Perbula, especially uh, in the Michigan State game? Yeah, I've, I've always been a big uh, believer in don't take your best players off the field, right? And to me, that's Aller. Uh, I liked when, when they ran earlier in the year, I liked when they ran, I think it was against Maryland, they had both guys involved in the play. I think the more you can do that, the better. Uh, it looks like they were going to do it again. I can't remember if there was either a timeout or a penalty that, that ended up stopping that against Michigan State. But I liked it. Was a time, it, was a, it was a timeout because Bo came on the field, and I was kidding Bo as we were going out to the bus. I said, you walked in the field, they called timeout. He says, yeah, I was so mad about that. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, those those kind of plays where you're getting him and Aller involved in the action uh, makes it more difficult for the defense because, you know, there are times when you have Drew Aller just standing out at receiver where it's like, okay, you're kind of playing 10 on 11 because uh, the corner or the safety or linebacker or whoever's on him out there can focus on the inside of the play, right? They don't have to pay as much attention to them. But I do like a lot of those wrinkles that they had where both guys got mm-hmm. involved. Uh, that play in particular had a chance to be something like that. Uh, I honestly, I really liked when in the red zone when they took Aller off the field and put Prabula on because then you're maximizing uh, Bo and you're playing 11-on-11 11 11 at that point, right? And Aller is, uh, he's not swayed by the fact that he's coming off the field. It doesn't seem like. Uh, he knows that that Bo is a better runner and a better athlete. I would assume uh, because it is that is pretty obvious. But uh, yeah, I think I think it is something they need to continue to incorporate as long as both guys are there. Uh, I would try to get both guys involved as much as I can when both are on the field. Understanding at times, you know what I mean. There will be reps where where Drew just stands out at receiver. Um, but yeah, the the more involvement with with Bo, the better. Uh, especially when you consider his athleticism, he lined up in the slot on one play. Like he can he can play multiple places, and it doesn't have to be just him lining up the quarterback. Yeah, you put if Bo's in the red zone, you have to account for him. And that's, yep. you know, in other words, you know, you have to either spy him, account for him, or something. That's what happens when you do have a quarterback that moves in the red zone. Uh, any uh, idea on direction or potential direction on an offensive coordinator? Yeah, this is this is tough, right? Like, it's always, it's one of those things, uh, you know, where, where James is always trying to batten down the hatches and, and not let anyone get any info on, on these kind of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I've, I've seen the reports about uh, Andy Katonicki from um, Kansas. You know, I, I know that there is some uh, interest there on both ends of, you know, talk to people on the Kansas side of things, too, that uh, wonder if he would leave. I know he made $1.1 million this year. That's nothing to scoff at, especially in a place like Kansas. Um, and he's he's very loyal to Lance Leopold, so I'll be curious to see if that ends up coming to fruition. But that is the type of candidate uh, that I would expect uh, James to kind of go after, right? The kind of guy who has maximized multiple types of quarterbacks, uh, the kind of guy who wants to spread defenses out It's not afraid to run the ball at the same time, uh, and really is just, you know, uh, in a good position, I think, anyways. I know some people have uh, been concerned about uh, Kentucky because of the uh, uh, the, the Jalen Daniels is a really good runner, and, and you know people think he can't maximize pocket passer, but I don't think that would be the case. I, I would fully expect him to be able to adapt and maximize what he has, if that is the guy. And if it's not him, I would expect you know whoever it is to look a lot like that offensively, right? Just trying to spread it out, trying to run the ball, uh, you know, especially someone that that's adaptable uh, that can that can run uh, the, that kind of offense, that kind of spread offense in multiple ways. The uh, obviously the uh, conference championship games coming up will have an influence as to how the bowl picture shakes out on this particular day. Where do you think it shakes out? Feels like the, the ends with the Peach Bowl. 
right? Like it, it seems like the the most logical destination. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if it's Cotton Bowl, but like you said, if you know things don't go Penn State's way this weekend, if Iowa steals a bid, or if or if Oklahoma State does, it could get a little messy on whether Penn State makes a New Year's Six. Um, but I, I, I tend to think those those things will go in Penn State's favor. They'll make a New Year's Six. It'll probably be the Cotton Bowl or the Peach Bowl. Um, you know, Peach Bowl. I, I would guess against a Group of Five school because. Can't imagine that you know, especially if it's Tulane. If you know the the committee wants to send Tulane right back to the Cotton Bowl uh, for a second year in a row, so uh, I do think Penn State ends up getting in a New Year's Six Bowl. A little less certain on the landing spot, but but you know, I think those two are probably the most likely if that's the case. I think they would like to. I think the Fiesta Bowl is in line to get like a. They haven't had a Group of Five in a while. Yep. That's why there's, there's a lot of things enter into this. So I'm not I'm not sure. Yet myself on on the opponent. I would I will ask you a basketball question. Uh, you know, look, I mean, it's kind of tough for you guys to get around and cover road games, so you weren't physically in Orlando, but you watched. Uh, so, uh, at this point, seven games in, what are you seeing with basketball right now with Bucknell coming up? Yeah, it's it's really interesting. Those those first four games couldn't have looked less like the last three. Right, like it was. Right, it was suffocating defense. It was aggressive at the point of attack, and uh, then it was kind of none of that. It, it was against Texas A and M. You know, that was. You don't like to talk about moral victories, but that felt like a moral victory that they somehow turned into two more losses. Uh, you know, because and Mike Rhodes mentioned that yesterday, and uh, you know said that they they let one turn into another. Right, they let it get rolling right. and and lose multiple games. But I think it is. Uh, there, there remains questions about how his defense will hold up in the Big Ten, um, you know, and I, I don't know that this weekend helped those questions. Uh, mm-hmm. I do think they have a lot of talent. I think Ace Baldwin is really, really good. Not having Kanye Clary for most of the VCU game obviously hurt, but, you know, it's it's tough. This is a whole new team. They look like they were gelling through four games and now through seven. You wonder if there's, uh, you know, still a lot of strides to be made in that regard. And so I think this is – you know, this season probably ends at the end of the day where a lot of people expected it to, uh, maybe from the outside. I thought there was a chance that they could make the NIT. I still think there's a chance they can make the NIT. I don't know if that's as certain maybe as I was a week ago. Um, but I think ultimately it's a team that's probably going to finish in the bottom third of the Big Ten, as, as I think most would expect, and should be trying to get to that 11-12 range um, with a decent shot of being, you know, 13th and, and showing those building blocks, though, showing reason uh, to, to believe in next year. Uh, but I, I think really it just comes down to how good is this defense going to look against Big Ten yeah. teams consistently because if it if it's not going uh, at full speed, it's not running on uh, all cylinders, right, and they can't get the uh, the turnovers they need and they're giving up too many open threes because they're pressing so much, then then I think it, it, you, you start to question, you know, maybe Mike Rhodes has to change up his defensive scheme a little bit. But until we see a bigger sample size of that, I think it's probably – you know, as jarring as four and three is after a four and zero start for fans, I think I think it's staying the course for now and waiting until you see more consistently against Big Ten teams exactly how this is going to look. Yeah, uh, and we'll get a read on that next week when they have Maryland and Ohio State back to back. All right, that's right. Yep, John, always a pleasure. Always enjoy the conversation and your insights. Thank you so much, Steve. Always appreciate it. John Sobers, Center Daily Times.